Good morning, everybody, and welcome to KASB's live update of the legislative session. This is uh, update number two for 2020, and we're happy to see you all. Uh, this is our first uh, update since we had our advocacy in action meeting last week, and then we also had an ice storm on Friday. So, uh, so this is our our catch-up of last week and preview of next week. I'm here today with Rob Gilligan and Scott Rothschild. Our fearless leader, Mark Tallman, is out of town uh, attending a wedding, and we will attempt to carry on in his absence. So since we saw you all last, we uh, have had a few things happen in the legislature uh, the past week and this week. And uh, the first thing that we would like to touch on that we haven't really uh, briefed you all on yet is uh, Governor Kelly's budget and K-12 education. Scott, you want to talk about sure. that? Sure. Well, I mean, it, it feels like years ago, it but it, just a few uh, days ago, the governor had her state of the state, and then the next day she released her budget. And as far as education goes, uh, uh, there's a lot of the same. I mean, the, the uh, school funding phased-in increases are, are, are pat in the budget. Uh, increases uh, to base state aid for the next three years, I believe. And then, uh, but because the, uh, the new uh, enrollment estimate was lower than expected, there is a savings to the state of about $35 million. And uh, the State Board of Ed would like that money to go to uh, special education. The governor's budget does not do that, but uh, maybe there will be some um, uh, efforts during the session to do that. Uh, also in the governor's budget, there is an uh, increase in the uh, mental, school mental health project, which has kind of pretty much gotten pretty good reviews, has, has done a lot of good work in the, in the districts that it's been placed in. So she, her budget proposal would increase that for, by about $5 million. So aside from that, uh, as far as the funding goes, those are the big uh, differences. Her budget does uh, increase local uh, uh, option, capital outlay, uh, capital improvement, uh, improvement. So it does include some increases in those areas. But um, uh, the base state aid is, is in, in line with the, what was agreed to by the Kansas Supreme Court. Uh, increase in the mental health project, which is uh, seems to be money well spent. I mean, everyone is saying it's a, it's a great thing to help our kids. Higher ed, she does have some uh, budget increases for that, but I don't think it's what higher ed wanted. They wanted a little more because they had been cut uh, during some years. So, uh, so that's pretty much what what her budget is, and the governor's budget is always the starting point and. Traditionally, the governor's a lot of the governor's budget uh, gets uh, um, uh, uh, gets passed. We had a little glitch there, so uh, and that's about it. All right. All right. So the next thing, obviously, the big topic, uh, the session so far for education is the at-risk audit. LPA put that audit out in December. Uh, you've seen our reviews and information online uh, that you can check out. Uh, the presentation by the auditors was made in front of three different committees this right. week. Uh, so both the House Education Committee, House K-12 Budget Committee, and then yesterday finished up with the Senate Education Committee. Uh, of course, 
The big conversation being differences of interpretation of what the law requires and what the state uh, ultimately does through KSDE. LPA's interpretation should be that ultimately there should be an approved list of programs and investments that can be made that are eligible for at-risk dollars. The state argument believes that each district needs to make a plan of action for their at-risk investment, justify that in their plan that they send to the state, and the state reviews that, and if it feels like it is research-based and with good evidence, they will approve that as a good use of at-risk dollars. So really it seems like it's a, the main conflict is the interpretation of what the intent of law is uh, and, and what this conflict will be. How that plays out in the legislature is what we will remain to be seen over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, the conversation, and, and really the next few months, uh, is focused this year, of course, because of the sunsetting of the high-density at-risk right. weighting. So for those that don't remember, a district that has over 35% of the students, and we have a building level, so this would be 35% of students in a building that are free lunch, they would be high-density in that building, and they would receive an additional weighting on top of the standard at-risk weighting for all free lunch students. That is scheduled to sunset at the end of this fiscal year, fiscal year 20, and so June 20. Yep, I guess I need to go check the battery right. real quick. <laughs> so that's scheduled to end or sunset on June, excuse me, July 1st, 2020, unless the legislature takes some action this year. So uh, that's what we'll be keeping an eye on, and especially in reference to this sort of uh, controversy or disagreement about at-risk. Well, and, and the other thing uh, on the at-risk budget, I think that some legislators are, are pointing out is that uh, uh, according to the State Department of Education, we're, we are underfunding right. at-risk funding. So, uh, and by the tune of about $80 million, similar to how what we've done with special education. So, so that's something that uh, has been pointed out by the audit. Uh, we are uh, serving uh, a lot of students uh, with at-risk programs, but we are not getting the complete funding right. from the state to do that. I think people need to be aware that this is probably going to be a continuing topic. I think Mark noted, uh, Rob noted that, and so we really need our members to be able to talk to their legislators, to their stakeholders in their community about how they use their at-risk funding, why it's so important, how it has narrowed those achievement gaps that we've seen, and uh, so this is, this is something we really need folks to be able to talk about. Your business office has this information. You know, you as the school board members and as the administrators have access to this information. And, you know, they, they need to hear not only from your professional lobbyists here in Topeka, but they need to hear from you about how you use that very important at-risk funding. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think legislators were asking for that information. Yeah. I mean, and it's a confusing topic. It's a complicated yeah. topic, and uh, you know, once you get in the classroom, uh, it, it, it's you know, seeing it from fifty thousand feet and seeing it yeah. from the eyes of a classroom teacher totally different. And and that's I think what our education leaders throughout the state need to get that 
get that across to legislators. Yeah, really kind of a great opportunity for a plug. Uh, legislators will most likely start having their area dialogues, That's coffees, right. events and activities within their districts over the next couple weeks. Usually they get started about the end of January, first part of February. A great opportunity for school leaders, school board members, administrators, teachers, faculty, staff, parents, anybody that wants to sit down and have a conversation with them to make sure that they can understand this issue. The legislature will need to vote on the extension of that at-risk high-density waiting right. this year, uh, and so it will come up for all legislators and they need to be part of that conversation. That's right. Another issue that we were following this week was updates on the, at the uh, House Education Committee from the Bullying Task Force and the Dyslexia Task Force. That was uh, late in the week. The Bullying Task Force recommendations were uh, were presented to the House Education Committee, and, and that's the committee that, that kind of helped start the conversation last year. There was some concern along uh, with the members of the K-12 Ed Budget Committee about bullying in schools. How do we address that? How, how do we we help kids uh, deal with with those issues. The state uh, developed the Bullying Prevention Task Force and it met throughout the summer and fall and developed recommendations that it delivered to the State Board of Education in December and then they presented those recommendations to the House Ed Committee uh, this week. I think some of the members were a little bit um, nonplussed about the recommendations. I think some of them were looking for a little more um, stick to the recommendations, there was some bipartisan concern about, you know, if I have a child or a constituent who is bullied and they report it, you know, how are you handling that, schools, what are you doing to, to stop this, you know, and you all, board members and administrators, you know what you're doing, you know there are an incredible amount of things that, that you need to take into account when you're investigating the, the incidents or alleged incidents and there are student privacy protections that are in place. So there are things that you are doing now, but for people who are really concerned about the bullying issue, mm -hmm. you know, they, they still feel like maybe it's not enough. So there was some bipartisan concern from members of the committee about how this how this is going to play out. And so I, I you know I think that may be a, a continued topic of some concern for that committee as we move forward. Dyslexia also gave their report uh, not uh, not too much um, of additional worry or concern there from yeah. that task force. So, so really, it seemed like the committee really you know, sees that there's a lot of work being done, especially at KSE level, on right. dyslexia and trying to move forward with some of the recommendations that the committee came up with about a year ago. Uh, but your read and the read I kind of get is probably expect to see some new legislation or some re-emergence of legislation from last year related to bullying. Uh, the committee didn't seem to feel like we, the task force, had gone far enough yet. Yeah. They, in fact, Chairman Hubert said, you know, I think maybe a little follow-up in April might be good to see, you know, help us, help us understand what kind of progress you're making. So, again, this is another thing you need to be prepared to discuss with your legislators. Good deal. Speaking of follow-up on progress, something that's been a conversation point for multiple years, uh, Senate Bill SB, uh, 387, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, came back up for conversation in the Juvenile Justice Committee. Yeah, this was, uh, I think it was 2016, uh, the Senate bill, it was, it was a, a, uh, an overhaul of the juvenile justice system. I think it, in a very general term, the emphasis was to try to keep uh, kids from being detained, from being put in detention, try to keep them in the community, try to find community-based uh, uh, services for uh, kids who are having some troubles. 
you know, there's always been a little pushback on this. It seems like we always kind of go back and forth. Well, do we really punish these kids or do we take care of them in other ways? And I think uh, the research is uh, basically in the camp of let's try to treat these kids where they're at. Uh, most kids, uh, Chairman uh, uh, Jennings, uh, he was pretty uh, uh, philosophic about it. He says, you know, Teenagers are dumb, you know, <laughs> they do stupid things and, you know, 90% uh, of them are going to straighten out, you know, at the end. So uh, th these reforms, they're kind of in their third year of impl implementation. There have been all kinds of things stair-stepped in. And it seemed to me that the, the feeling of the, com of the committee... Although there was some concern, some uh, district judges have kind of said my hands are tied on some issues when handling, uh, when, when dispensing with juvenile cases. But there seemed to be a, sort of a consensus that they're going to let it ride. They're gonna, they want these reforms to, uh, to, to take root and to uh, see if they're uh, you know, helping out. And so I don't expect a lot of changes at least in that committee on the issue of juvenile justice. Good deal. So probably the last topic we really kind of followed this week, uh, Judiciary uh, Committee in the House had a, a hearing yesterday on uh, House Bill 2450. Uh, this would amend the Indoor Clean Air Act. So for those of you that may not remember, about 10 years ago, the legislature took up a discussion on indoor clean air and went through a pretty contentious debate and discussion right. about banning smoking inside of public buildings uh, in, in Kansas. Uh, that bill ultimately passed, was signed by the governor, uh, and has been in law now for about 10 years. It is interesting, the attorney general yesterday in discussion said it was pretty contentious. He was a senator at the time of that debate and remembers the debate and, and different opinions, but now it's pretty much just a, an accepted fact. Right. And in fact, it's kind of odd if you walk into a building that it allows smoking inside, uh, they change. So the uh, attorney general at that time uh, pointed out uh, about a year later that there was uh, not included in that legislation e-cigarettes or electronic cigarettes and it kind of made the recommendation if they wanted to be included the legislature would have to act. They have not act for about uh, 10 years or so and this year at the request of the Attorney General a bill was introduced to update the clean and indoor clean air act in Kansas that would include a definition of electronic nicotine delivery devices uh, or e-cigarettes uh, in the legislation. So that hearing was held yesterday. Uh, only proponents for that. We did speak in, in support of the legislation as we adopted a policy of that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where this kind of goes and how that conversation occurs. A little bit of conversation from the committee members uh, about the effects of secondhand vapor like mm -hmm. smoke, so secondhand smoke, or what they would call, uh, you know, uh, uh, the output of, mm -hmm. of the e-cigarette, and whether or not there's a health risk, as there is to the health risk of secondhand tobacco smoke. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that conversation goes. Some of the conferees certainly offered information there. So uh, a conversation that's just getting started uh, may see some activity, though we know a lot of discussion around vaping has been occurring over the past year, and of course. On the federal level, they adopted T21 uh, policies in, in December of this year. So we can see a lot of focus here, and I think that debate probably will continue throughout the session. Do you want to touch on the lawsuit, too? 
the lawsuit bill? Sure, yeah, yeah. So well, that'll tra transition us to next week then. Uh, that kind of wraps up the stories from this week. Next week we've got uh, a little bit of activity, three different hearings that we want to highlight for you. On Wednesday, the Judiciary Committee will be back once again for a hearing. This one, once again, at the request of the Attorney General and is related to lawsuits and restricting districts and local municipalities of heading into a lawsuit on a contingency basis. So contingency being fees aren't agreed to up front. It would be a, you'll help cover costs as it moves on, but you'll become the plaintiff. This has been common, and we've seen about eight districts in the state of Kansas sign on to contingency lawsuits this year based on the impacts of vaping on students uh, and, and the costs and the expenses the districts are having to face and trying to combat that as a health issue for students there. Uh, and so it is believed that the Attorney General is requesting this. Um, and, and ultimately, it's kind of explained as his goal and view from the Attorney General's office is it would be easier to coordinate that through the AG's office versus individual school districts working with individual attorneys and grouping together from the public, from the private side. And so I think that is the, the reason that they would like to see a limitation on district's ability. We plan to provide testimony for this case next week. Of course, to us, this is an issue of local control and limiting the hands of our locally elected school board members. And we'll make sure and share that with the committee next week on Wednesday. Let's note real quick that this uh, proposal would not impact mm -hmm. the school districts who have already entered into litigation. You bet. So Only future agreements. Forward. So didn't want anybody to, to panic there. Also next week on Tuesday, we're going to be uh, sitting in on a hearing um, on Senate Bill 250, which is a bill that was um, introduced that uh, talks about race-based discrimination. And it specifically says that you may not discriminate against someone based on their hairstyle or hair texture or, or how their hair is styled or how it looks. We will be providing neutral testimony. Our, our take on this is that discrimination based on race is always wrong. We always uh, advise our districts very strongly against that. And so we feel that that, that, uh, that hair texture or hairstyles are covered in that uh, protection against racial discrimination. But we also, you know, say that, you know, denoting that hair texture is probably um, something that some folks might feel is helpful. We, however, feel that, you know, the general prohibition on racial discrimination already covers that. And so we'll just, we will be presenting some neutral testimony to that effect. You bet. So probably the biggest story for next week, though, of course, on Thursday, uh, the House K-12 Budget Committee will be holding a hearing uh, related to a current law and the expansion of a tax credit that is allowed for private school individuals. So Leah will be taking up testimony on that, providing some information there. And I know Scott's got some research to give us a little background on what's going on there. But this is something currently in place that we already have active, but with certain limitations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this I think this law is about three or four or five years old. Uh, basically, uh, you can make a, a donation f to a scholarship fund, and you get a tax credit for that scholarship fund. Every year, the state puts out a report. We're, we've just put it up on our website if you want to look at it. And basically, this shows how much uh, in contributions have been made in scholarships and how much have been approved. And uh, basically, we're up to, let me see if I can find that real quick. Okay, last year there was about $2.3 million uh, put in these scholarship funds and about $1.8 million in tax credits. It's a 75% per dollar 
uh, tax credit. So this has been going on for a few years, um, and uh, this bill uh, would greatly expand uh, that ability. That's right. The current law limits the students who are eligible for these uh, mm -hmm. tax credit scholarships to students who qualify for free lunch and who attend a public school that is listed as one of the 100 lowest performing elementary schools in the state. That's the current law. This bill that we will be opposing on Thursday broadens that to any student who is eligible for free or reduced lunch, and it also completely eliminates the provision about the 100 performing lowest performing elementary schools. So that it's basically anybody pre-K through 12 who is free or reduced lunch would be eligible to receive one of these scholarships. Now, the bill does say that the schools that award the scholarships or really their vouchers, um, they do have to be an accredited private school. So that's, that's current law and the bill continues that. However, you know, this is, what KSB feels is an unconstitutional provision of public funds to private schools. All of the scholarship granting organizations are Christian organizations, and the schools who uh, are listed as being the voucher recipients are also Christian schools. If, if that is something that you want to choose for your child in Kansas, then that is certainly an option for you already. However, many folks uh, perhaps do not uh, subscribe to having uh, church and state mixing in, in their child's school, and they prefer to have the public school setting. There's also not very much beyond a religious school in many parts of our state. Once you get outside of Wichita, Kansas City, Topeka, which is where most of these scholarship granting schools and organizations exist, there really are no options for anyone if they feel like their public school is not serving their child. So our, our opposition to vouchers remains strong. We believe if there is an issue with the public school, we need to fix the public school. We don't take money away from the public school in order to fix a problem. So we will be opposing that bill along with several other of our allied organizations on Thursday. So that'll be Thursday afternoon at 3.30 in the House K-12 uh, Budget right. Committee. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll pretty much wrap up uh, next week. That'll kind of be, the, that'll be the, the, the end of the week. And, of course, we'll be back here uh, next Friday uh, with updates for any activities. Scott, Lee, any other thoughts of, of, of things that we should be looking for early on in the session? Well, I think, uh, I think like we've tr emphasized earlier is that we really need to get we need to speak to our legislators about at-risk funding. We need to speak to our legislators about uh, uh, bullying. And uh, any time you can uh, uh, contact or, or have an interaction with a legislator, uh, it, it's, it's good for us because they, they need to hear what's going on on the ground. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So Leah, of course, will not be joining us next Friday because she'll right. be on the road to D.C. That's right. Uh, NSBA's national conference. Any preview thoughts you want to have for that? Well, it's they're really focusing on, uh, you know, 2020 being an election year and how do we talk to our legislators uh, in D.C. about education issues that are so important for our students and, and just reminding them that, you know, the voters are are watching education. There are other, there are other things going on in D.C. right now, but we also... 
want to focus on what's best for kids, and so we will be attending a number of briefings and then having some uh, in-person visits with our members of Congress next week. We're taking a good delegation of about uh, just a little over a dozen folks, and it'll be it'll be a quality uh, experience for our members. Good deal. Well, don't forget, you can always reach out to any one of us by email. Uh, find us all on Twitter, of course, uh, or stop by and visit us at the State House. That's right. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly be there for, you know, at least the next couple weeks and having some fun. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in uh, to our show this morning, and uh, we'll touch base next week. Be sure to check us out each night on Facebook Live with those updates. Thanks.